You are listening to The Athenium with Angel B. Jimenez. Welcome back, guys, to another amazing episode. So glad to have you all here. It is episode 12, I believe, now. That means we are far past our midseason finale, and we are heading towards that uh, finale of the season. And um, it's been a great triumph, I think, so far. Um, for the Athenium and everything we've done, everything we've worked on, every all the stories we've told, I think um, they keep getting better and better every time, and and we have something new to tell. I think at least, uh, and we like to we like to choose guests who also have different things to tell. Um, everyone has a story to tell, and you've heard me say that countless times already. But uh, sure, some stories are fairly s- similar. Um, and uh, for the sake of the podcast, sometimes it might get boring. Um, so we like to we like to show some variety at least, right? Uh, musicians, comedians, actors, regular people, restaurant owners, uh, you name it, artists, authors, right? We like to show some some variety just so it never gets old. And you guys keep enjoying and understanding the 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 issue, the issue, the issue, the issue, um, or that we're trying to kind of point out with the Athenium, which is that everybody has a story to tell and no one's story is boring, especially if you tell it in the right way. Right. And that's what the Athenium is for, to tell those stories in the right way, to tell them and to give them to you, to not necessarily entertain you. I was going to say entertain you, but this is not, well, I mean, it could be to entertain some people. Most people listen to the podcast to be entertained, but I think it, it works as as enlightenment, I think you could say. It, it light, enlightens you in life. It gives you a new perspective many times. Some, not every episode will. Not every episode uh, speaks out to me on a personal level. Um, every episode I love, every episode I enjoy, but not every episode speaks to, out to me in a personal uh, in a personal level. But it does speak to people. Not maybe not all the episodes, but at least one will. And I've mentioned this before as well. That's the point of the podcast. That's the point of the Athenium. And uh, well, I mean, the point is, right? I'm just super excited. I'm super, I feel a bit proud uh, knowing that I was able to actually make this happen. I honestly thought, and I think I mentioned this as well before, that this was going to be one of those projects that I was going to leave unfinished after the first episode. I never, never in a million years thought I was going to even make it to episode three. And here we are, episode 12. Guys, I think it's 12. I might be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, in the reviews, but <laughs> but uh, I'm very sure it's 12. Um, actually, I want to say it's 13. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know we have a very special guest uh, tonight, guys. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, when I found out about him, I was like, whoa. And um, and I did everything in my power to make, to set up a, an adequate date that works for him and for me because this, this, this episode, this episode, this interview has a lot of potential, and I think he has a lot to tell us on so many things. And it's, it's variety. It's a completely new topic that we have not heard from in the whole history of the Athenium yet. We've heard from authors. We've heard from comedians. Um, have we heard from actors? Yes, we. Well, we heard from Mikhail in our midseason finale, and he's the director. Um, and I think that's really close to actor, but maybe not exactly. Um, but we've heard from yeah directors, comedians. Have we heard from artists? We've heard from photographers, authors, comedians. Yeah, um, I'm not sure we've heard from artists yet, like actual painters or 
um, illustrators. I'm trying to think. I don't think we have. That would, that'd be a nice one too to get. Um, have we heard from athletes? I don't think we've heard from athletes either. I might be wrong. I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head here. But in the end, guys, this is, I'm so excited. I am excited for tonight's episode. And he has, like I said, so much new stuff to tell us. Oh, we, we heard from um, public speakers, uh, Brendan, in one of our f- very first episodes. He talked to us about that. But like I said, tonight's guest, we have uh, someone a someone very special. And um, I'm looking forward to, to hearing what he's got to say and what he's got to tell us and that enlightenment that he's going to give us, right? Um, and I hope you guys have been enjoying this. I hope you guys have been able to get something out of it and uh, something you can use in your everyday lives. Because honestly, and sometimes I don't realize it, but now when I'm just kind of going through in my day, it's kind of like, huh, I should not be doing that. Or I should do that because my guest, uh, I don't know, um, Steven, Steven Satani said this, right, in one of our episodes. And it's something that actually helps me as well, right? So I hope the podcast is in some way doing that for you as well, um, giving you new perspectives about the world. Uh, it leaves you thinking, right, about what we talked about in the episode. It leaves you thinking about what you could do better with yourself, with your life, maybe not be as lazy. I mean, um, we all get lazy at some points. I get lazy all the time. Guys, and I've procrastinated as well all the time, especially with that new game Among Us out. Totally procrastination. No, I'm just kidding, guys. Um, but aside from that, guys, if you have not checked out my book, Age of the Kings, you can do so now on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles. It's very cheap on Kindle and Nook. Those are the online versions of my book. It's not paperback, it's digital. Um, it's also been um, nominated for the Reader's 2020 Choice Awards. So even if you haven't read it, guys, um, Go in there and vote for my book. Let's get it first place and let's get that medal as winner of the 2020 Reader's Choice Awards. Thank you very much, guys. And as always, I'm so, so grateful that you guys are here tuned in and you're ready to listen. Um, It is truly a blessing. So with that said, guys, welcome to the Athenium with Angel B. Jimenez. guys our guest tonight is logan sullivan good how are you yeah doing well i've been excited to chat i'm so excited that you're here and that you took your time to be on the podcast it means a lot yeah i'm very happy to be here what are we uh what are we getting into today i want we want to hear from you like what you do and how you got to doing that and how you hope to help the world i guess you could say right um so let's start off i guess by what you do what are you working yeah. Uh, are, are we are we jumping straight in? Or are we recording now? Yeah. Oh, we're recording. Yes, we're already recording. Amazing. Cool. In that case, I, I was gonna set up another microphone here, but am, am I coming through okay? You're well? you're coming out fine. Amazing. Yeah. So, uh, what do I do? That's that's a big topic. So at the moment, I'm doing something very different to to what I used to do. Mm-hmm. Though all kind of a unified story here of figuring out how. Uh, how to change the world as much as possible, how to impact the most positive change mm-hmm. uh, as, as one seemingly disempowered individual. Um, uh, I think we can uh, uh, certainly figure out how to invest ourselves as resources for change. And that's that's kind of right. been the unifying thread through everything I've worked on. But um, right now I'm actually 
in the process of raising a uh, venture capital fund uh, to invest in the creation of 16 companies. Wow. Uh, in a cohort that we, we believe can uh, go about accelerating the, the transition away from factory farming and towards more sustainable, more humane, uh, and healthier alternatives in mm. the food system. Wow. And what got you into that? Like, what gave you that idea that that's what I want to do? <laughs> yeah. So we have to go way back for that one. Uh, so I, let's see, I worked for about 10 years in the humanitarian development and, and conservation space. I uh, worked with mostly with NGOs there, mm-hmm. uh, to about, uh, roughly 70 countries over that 10 years. Uh, in that process, I held uh, all kinds of jobs from program management, logistics after natural disasters. I worked with medical organizations, with hunger organizations, um, inclusion organizations. Uh, I, I kind of elevated them into coordination roles, trying to figure out how I can uh, kind of scale my influence, mm-hmm. I suppose. How can I elevate my role such that I'm not just um, impacting how one program is affecting one community, but how can I go about influencing how 10 programs are affecting 10 communities? Mm-hmm. And then from there, I kind of uh, moved my way into, into bigger picture roles right. that allowed to influence a bigger set of, of, um, of programs in the nonprofit space. And from there, I pretty quickly developed a lot of frustration around the, the humanitarian system. It was inefficient and had yeah. room for improvement, to put it very lightly. <laughs> and I could go into that in detail for sure. But it was that frustration and uh, this kind of continual drive to try and figure out how to actually go about changing something, making making something better, alleviate suffering of humans and animals, yeah. do something to change the outcome for, for the climate. Sure. And it felt helpless. Yeah. Um so that, that led to, you know, a constant thought process of how, how can I uh, find a more scalable opportunity to influence more resources mm-hmm. in a way. So resources as capital, so actual money, so this is donations or this is investment, but, but more so human resources, how people spend their time, how we build programs in the nonprofit space, how social impact companies are built in the, the for-profit space. Uh, how investment is allocated, how philanthropic dollars are allocated. And ultimately, I kind of came to the most scalable way that I can uh, persuade the the largest amount of resources to be allocated towards the most important problem was this model. This is uh, doing the deep research to understand what are the most impactful companies that we can build that scale Mm -hmm. and then able to do this in a scalable way uh this is kind of a more and more and more scalable um scalable way of solving problems right wow Um, yeah wow and it this must have taken a lot of studying right did you go to a pretty uh high prestige college or university so i i studied in in orange county originally at chapman university uh i studied abroad twice uh, in the, at the University of Sydney in mm-hmm. Australia, oh, wow. the University of Cape Town uh, in South Africa. Uh, I then started an MBA program um, uh, doing a sort of 
uh, shorter MBA program in conjunction with the, the wrapping up my undergrad. Uh-huh. But it was in the middle of that that the earthquake in Haiti happened mm. back in 10. And I, I ended up, I had just come back from South Africa where, you know, I I grew up in suburban yeah. and then I went to the first place I moved was Orange County. Uh, I didn't have so much exposure to the, the reality of the majority of the human population. Right. Uh, and and I, I did some backpack up through up through South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Malawi. Uh, Was that nice? Yeah. Were in uh, opened my eyes a bit, and I had to had to ask, uh, "Do I really? Am I? You know, I'm heading towards an MBA. Why? Why? What am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why? Why am I doing this?" And uh, then the earthquake in Haiti happened, and it it kind of I had you know, a whole lot of clarity. This is mm-hmm obviously something much more valuable to spend my time on trying to um, provide some value to one of the great, you know, one of the, uh, the biggest natural disasters in yeah. recent history, 220,000 people died. Right. So my kind of less thoughtful reaction was, well, I need to go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I want to alleviate suffering in the world, I should go to the place where a lot of suffering is happening to right. be helpful. In hindsight, that was not a very productive approach. Uh, it wasn't the most useful thing I could have done at all. Um, but I'm thankful I had that experience so I could learn from that and, mm-hmm. you know, in your, can really commit to taking whatever information I gather in any one of these roles to ultimately arrive at what I'm working on now. Mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't here if I didn't do that. Wow. Yeah. And have you written like any documents or books on this? Because I know you're an author, am I right? Yeah, so I did. I, I did spend a long time writing, uh, doing a, a lot of writing over the past ten years. I also um, co-authored what's what's essentially the global standard guidance document okay. for impact assessment, monitoring, evaluation, and learning in the humanitarian sector. Uh, so this was on behalf of an entity called Sphere, which was created uh, as a third-party entity to sort of house. Uh, the global standards in the humanitarian sector um, to be met by all, uh, all operational agencies. So this is nonprofits, this is United Nations agencies, this is donors, um, even military operating in certain contexts uh, to align with humanitarian principles. Um, and in, in the frameworks of international law uh, are, are um, strongly encouraged to to align with these principles right um yeah wow 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 and then you're also the ceo of counterfactual ventures right yeah so that's that's what this um this venture builder right uh, venture capital fund powering a uh collection uh, or or a venture studio mm. let's say if that model okay. you're familiar with yeah. um yeah in in reality we're kind of three separate separate things under one roof right uh we're a venture studio a venture creator Uh um we do the research into what um what spaces exist or opportunities exist to solve significant problems in the world Mm -hmm. and our focus now is on ending factory farming and replacing it with something significantly better for the environment obviously better for animal welfare as we uh, you know, unnecessarily kill 80 billion farm animals per year. Yeah. We don't actually need to. 
Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't have have much empathy for the experience of a a, a chicken or a cow, right. it, that's a pretty big number. And mm-hmm. if there is any chance that they do feel pain, which is which is the consensus, yeah. um, even if you want to buy into that, that's a pretty big problem. Um, if you know when it's the case that it's we can live very healthy healthy lives on on uh, plant based diets, and you know more and more so we're learning how how negative. Uh, animal products are for our health. Mm-hmm. We have this alternative. We're, we're trying to enable that industry to replace factory farming sooner than otherwise. And in the process, we don't just want to replace it with with anything. Mm-hmm. We want to replace it with alternatives that are maximally good for the environment, uh, maximally uh, good for as many stakeholders as, as we can account for. So we're talking about food insecurity, food poverty. Uh, there's, you know, a thousand stakeholder groups, uh, cattle lobbies yeah. and, you know, employee of every factory farm. These are all, all need to be considered in, in the process of how we go about making this transition mm-hmm. as, as smooth and positive as we can. So in that first part, the venture builder, we're trying to um, identify the most impactful uh, companies we can work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, build those out in-house up to a point that we uh, can very confidently bring in co-founders. So another another path or kind of parallel path there is we're searching for world-class co-founders who are interested in building out the, these companies that we really believe can, can change the world if they succeed. We then bring co-founder teams together, assign them with a really exciting, uh, really exciting company, and then the part two is a, an incubator, and that's relatively standard. From that point forward, we've brought to life a really exciting company. We've brought in a really exciting co-founder mm-hmm. team. Now, now we invest from our venture capital funds. Uh, we we give them uh, between two hundred and fifty and three hundred thousand uh, dollars for a six-month uh, time frame to bring them up to uh, a point at which they're ready to raise more funding and scale pretty significantly. Um, and then the part three there is the, the VC fund. So again, that's three distinct things under one roof. Right. So. And I mean, I might have missed this, but the alternate protein venture studio, is that part of this as well? Yes. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Right. So okay. our, our focus area now is exclusively on uh, alternative protein and how how we can kind of take the momentum that, that has come yeah. from wins like I'm sure you've heard of the impossible burger, mm-hmm. um, being in Burger King, for example, or oat milk being one of the biggest, uh, um, areas of growth in all of consumer goods last mm-hmm. year being this massive splash. So th- these are examples, but while there's so many other animal products mm-hmm. that, that uh, we certainly can re- replace, right. um, with much better alternatives. Yeah. Um, in for as many stakeholders as we can. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so with everything you're doing like this, you know, right, reducing all this um, animal product, you could say, are do you practice this as well? Are you like a vegan or vegetarian as well? I yes. Yeah, I've been I've been on and off vegetarian for I think about 11, 12 years ago I started and failed and started and failed and I kind of had this militant approach. It was right. all or nothing. So yeah. I, I'd go for you know, six weeks and then, you know, late at night, I'd have a bite of a burger and right. then I'd think, oh, well, I failed. So I might as well have bacon for breakfast the yeah. next day. And this approach was just, uh, it's, it's unproductive. It's mm-hmm. almost this, uh, this all or nothing 
approach. And when I realized, well, it doesn't have to be that, um, that, that made, you know, close to veganism, right. Much, much more tenable over time. So I still break that every now and then mm-hmm. I still have a, you know, a product that has egg in it, for example, yeah. every now and then, uh, if I'm traveling in a place where it's really hard, I'll, I'll have egg. I'm actually lactose intolerant now, which oh, makes it a lot right. vegan. And I'm, I'm at the point where I haven't had meat in, in so many years. I think about wow. set that oh, if wow. I did, I'd be scared that it's going to make me sick. So yeah. egg is kind of the, the one area that I, I cheat on every now mm-hmm. and then. But I see that as, um, you know, I, I strongly promote that approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course. To be 100% is better than not. But being 99.9% of the way there alleviates 99.9% of, course. of the problem. Yeah. And, uh, and it's much more tenable. So. Definitely. And so for someone who's eaten meat all their life and uh, dairy products and everything, do you think it's a pretty hard commitment, right, from what I'm hearing? So, well, that this is kind of what we're doing here is to make it as easy of right. a commitment many people as possible by not just you know not creating tofu not making you know right. promoting or an eat ought to eat kale salad every yeah. day for lunch that's that's the, the old version right uh-huh. uh, and and i think it was in the last few years it's become wildly different um just completely uh, a, a different story now than it was even in 2016 let's say um the availability of cost-competitive alternatives that really mimic the experience of meat. Mm-hmm. So talking about Impossible Burger, Beyond Burger, the, these types of products um, that really, you know, you can buy at most stores now. You don't have to just eat uh, beans and mm-hmm. rice and salads like it used to be the case. And these alternatives, the veggie dog or the, uh, um, you know, the, the to- tofurkey right. are the last, the old generation of alternatives. What we're talking about now is something that can convincingly um, uh, turn a, a meat eater into a, to prefer alternatives wow. that are, that seem exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd encourage anyone to go try uh, an impossible burger mm-hmm. at Burger King and, and see if you can tell the difference right why won't you eat and you know uh do some taste tests because you can't it's 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 pretty crazy yeah and that's what we want to create for every other product out there wow. that uh necessitates you know yeah. unnecessarily killing killing animals that is you know accounts for between 18 and 25 percent of all climate change comes from animal agriculture mm-hmm. wow. we are able to replace that and better yet, replace it with regenerative agriculture to the extent that we can. Uh, we could not only just cut down on climate change by 18 to 25 percent um, of carbon emissions, uh, we could maybe even ma- make a positive impact. Wow. Not just less bad. Yeah. You know, we're aspiring not to just be a little bit less bad. We're aspiring to be maximally good. Right. Um, wow. New- that makes sense. Yeah, and how long would you estimate for this to actually start making some effect for like the majority of maybe Americans or people in Europe to actually start eating more vegan products or more of what you're working on instead of completely um, animal products? So how how long until yeah. some of these companies come to market and start right. making it easy? That's a great question. I mean, we we intend to launch our our first cohort in the first quarter next year. 
and those companies, we hope some of them will, will come to market within the year. Uh, and so, so maybe by the end of 2021, you'll see, wow. see some of these take, taking shape, um, definitely in 2022 and beyond. And we're talking about, uh, right now raising the resources to, to launch 16 companies, um, with a very, very strong intention thereafter to scale that to 100 or more, um, over the next six or seven years. Wow. Uh, so our real goal here is, can we build 100 companies that enable support the alternative protein transition mm-hmm. uh, nudge the whole process towards better outcomes for all stakeholders um, and set uh, an example of how how we can go about kind of architecting uh, maximally impactful companies given a certain uh, theory of change to solve real systemic problems that we face in, in a way that no one no single company, could solve this problem, no single nonprofit, no single academic initiative. Um, but when we all come together, uh, we, we might actually be able to, to change a system if we do it the right way, really thoughtfully. And that's what we're, we're aspiring right. in that direction. Wow. And are you a speaker at Oxford or, or do you teach there often? I, I'm not teaching there. So I'm, a, I'm an advisor to the Oxford okay. University Mission, um, Accelerator Program and the Student Entrepreneurship Program. Right. Wow. But I, I do, I, yes, I, I do a good amount of speaking. I'm not teaching there at all. Um, gave a work, I often do impact workshops. So I did one for the Oxford Venture Capital Network, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, same thing for Cambridge and uh, a number of, of, of these universities we're building collaborations with so we can right. kind of a talent funnel um, from, you know, uh, top researchers, top top academics mm-hmm. interested in the um, startup space, and we're trying to kind of hand on a silver platter. Right. Uh, here's a really incredible company that we've already vetted, well researched, uh, and it will be profitable if you build. You know, if if, if you build it in a way we we suggest is is a, a useful direction to head. And um, yeah, we're trying to create those types of relationships. So of so doing and engaging is that's amazing. Is, yeah. Wow. And so outside of all of this, cause you're a busy man, apparently outside of all of this, do you have like any hobbies, anything you enjoy to do on your spare time or anything? I, I certainly do. I'm not having a whole lot of time for that lately. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I, I'm very, very active. I'm not capable of, of sitting right. still for too long. a lot of rock climbing. Uh, a lot of uh, um, water sports, so uh, surfing. Whenever I can get oh, wow. in, in a body of water, I'm I'm on board. I just came back from a little trip in in Mexico. Um, Got to do uh, get get on some waves there, which was really nice. What part of Mexico? Um, what's that? Sorry. What, what part of Mexico did you go to? Uh, I was in Puerto Vallarta. Oh, okay. uh, or in the Puerto Vallarta area, so yeah. Yalapa, which is this uh, a town. Only, only accessible by boat, which made it quite isolated for for COVID yeah. purposes. It was a pretty good place to be. And uh, and then north in, in Sayulita and the uh, uh, kind of adjacent small towns mm-hmm. there. Wow. Wow. And nope. surfing. How did you get into surfing? <laughs> yeah, I that's a good question. I grew up I grew up in Portland. So we didn't have waves right nearby, but we spent a lot of time on the coast. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to get um, like little uh, t- 
tide pool guide books or like how to identify species books for for gifts growing up i wanted to be i think my fifth grade yearbook said i was gonna be the dolphin trainer at SeaWorld, which in hindsight was not a very <laughs> positive thing to aim right. for but i didn't know much better at the time yeah. that was all pointing to you know drawn to the ocean right. i guess and I uh, grew up skiing and then transitioned into snowboarding, grew up kind of skateboarding as well when I was young. So surfing, I suppose, was a, mm-hmm. a natural right. I could bring the idea of riding a board and I can do it in the ocean. That sounds of amazing. Um, yeah, I don't get to do it at all as much as I, I'd like to. I actually, yeah, the last time I, I had a, a real kind of in-depth surf trip, I, I ended up with a... a pretty severe injury and wow. how how did that happen uh i actually tore my tricep wow. uh, i was in i went to el salvador for a, a five-week riding and surfing little retreat for myself uh in 2016 and came home uh not in good shape oh, unfortunately geez. and i hadn't hadn't even uh yeah been been in the water since then until recently wow uh, scuba diving also scuba diving spent a lot more time doing that oh yeah uh, a way to be in the ocean immersed it's without, a great experience uh, for sure absolutely how many yeah, times I, have you gone what's that Sorry. how many times have you gone diving oh uh lost lost count I, so i was actually i was country director of a coral reef research organization in the philippines and then i helped them launch their program in Cambodia, and part of that uh, was diving surveys, uh, so gathering baseline information that we use to um, persuade the fisheries departments or, or the, the relevant um, part part of uh, uh, the local government there to create marine protected areas. So essentially, like uh, uh, national park underwater, and so we had to we did a lot of diving, often up to three times a day six days a week. And I was lucky enough to have incredible people working there such that as kind of the, the, the country director, I sometimes didn't have a lot to do. It's right. Amazing. I, I, um, I got to take the, uh, take the test to be a, um, a uh, surveyor there so I could mm-hmm. identify the, the target species. That's awesome. And yeah. I think I, I did over 200 dives in between those two. Wow. Um, which was great. Yeah. I don't know why the hell I left. That. Right. I, I left that job to, to, to go to Syria. With, right. Uh, during uh, the kind of uprising of, of ISIS. Mm-hmm. So different uh, yeah. uh, experience. I don't know why. Sure. That. Wow. You, you got lucky. 200 dives is a lot of times you got to go school diving. I only got to go once. And that was like, that was like awesome. So for you to be oh, able yeah. to go 200 times, that's like, a, that's a gift. It's a blessing. Absolutely. I, and I went when I was in Mexico and it, it got, got it sparked again. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just to get right. back underwater for sure. Wow. Well, that's amazing. And did you ever, like, did you like the ocean ever since you were a kid? Am I right? Yeah. 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 That's something. Absolutely. I, I have, I painted my walls blue growing up. Uh, I hung all these like ocean related and surfing related pictures and things. Uh, that was always the idea. Right. Uh, yeah, I kind of looked at universities 
not in the scope of you know where it will actually study yeah but proximity to warm ocean water <laughs> so that was kind of the the basis on which i i decided where to apply for the most part right of course wow all right and back to the back to what you're actually doing right now um, once we start actually making an impact and actually overturning the amount of animal products consumed to more of what you guys are proposing, where do we go from there? What's the next step once we actually start helping the environment a lot better? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I would, I'd love to be in, in that position knowing that we're fully on the path towards ending factory farming. Um, but I, I think it all happens at, at the same time. So, so this is the important thing, I think. One of the reasons we're working on counterfactual and trying to do what we're trying to do is that if we, we felt that we left it just to the uh, you know existing companies who are very often doing a lot of really good things and replacing products with healthier, more sustainable versions, uh, but they're not necessarily incentivized to create the most sustainable version or the most healthy version that is positive for all stakeholders. Um, and, and that makes a lot of sense. But if we're creating many companies um, with a, a bigger theory of change here to train, change the system, then at the same time, we can replace these products and nudge the whole movement towards um, uh, creating kind of a, a, a better future there. And I think when when we reach the day that, that we've replaced factory farming with more sustainable alternatives, then I'm sure there's... What, what we're aspiring towards is, is making sure that there's not too many massive problems that remain in that system thereafter. Mm -hmm. We don't want to replace a big problem with another problem. Um, but I, I suspect we'll have a whole lot more work to do in uh, addressing climate change uh, thereafter and looking at uh, other ways in which our, our, our habits negatively affect other living beings right of course and what do you think is the biggest obstacle right now in your guys's way like what's that main challenge that's kind of just like fighting back against you yeah it's uh i mean long list comes to mind i mean mm -hmm. how do we become cost competitive with a uh a massive yeah. massive powerful industry with a powerful lobby and uh a whole lot of um investment on behalf of uh, the U.S. in particular in supporting animal agriculture, that's a, that's a big thing to overcome. Mm -hmm. um, those subsidies that that decrease the you know the the price tag when it ultimately arrives on a shelf that you're going to pay for a pound of beef, for example, makes it challenging for for alternatives to reach price uh, price parity there. Um, so so that's that's a challenge. Also, how do we actually create products that mimic the experience, yeah. all five senses. We're talking about we want when you when you cook the alternative mm -hmm. for it to sound like you're cooking right. the original product for it for it to, to the, the kind of juices when you grill a burger to, to yeah. be the same on the patty, uh, for the texture when you chew it to be the same. The whole experience to just mimic exactly what you're used to, exactly what you completely grew up um, experiencing so that this can be as easy of a transition, just a common sense transition uh, as possible. It's, you know, it's really, really hard. And I learned this in, in the advocacy jobs that I held um, in, in my time in the nonprofit world, that making moral arguments in, in pursuit of behavioral change is challenging. Yeah. Uh, not 
unfortunately, we all have our biases. We all kind of interpret information in particular ways. And uh, there was actually one interesting study that, uh, uh, how to put this, uh, 50% of people when asked believe themselves to be in the, the top 90th percentile of good people. And 90% of people believe themselves to be in the top 50%, so in the top half. This just can't be true. Right. Uh, but what that points to is this reality that we uh, tend to estimate ourselves to be very moral beings. We're, we're doing good things. We're doing our best. And, and that's probably a very positive thing for mental health across the board for us to kind of believe that we're doing really good things. But when we're challenged when we kind of receive information in a way that might suggest, oh no, I, I, I've been doing this thing my whole life, that might not be as ethical as I thought it was, that invites, that's pretty much the biggest confrontation to identity that you can you can have. Mm-hmm. And it's not just me then. It's not, if, if I'm consuming meat my whole life and I, I hear, well, it might be, a negative life for this this animal and they might actually feel a lot of pain and and that that kind of sucks mm. I'm, I'm not saying my choices i'm bringing to question but then i'm also thinking well my whole family did this as well all my friends now it, do i have to bring to question if one i am as good of a person as i thought i was my entire family my entire community most of the world mm-hmm. do i have to bring to question it's much easier for you know our biased yeah. perception to process that information in a way that doesn't force me to ask this question uh so be, this this kind of moral persuasion for behavioral change is is taking on a big task there mm-hmm. of people to question their entire identity uh and then change their life and and the way they live it thereafter in, in perpetuity for the right. rest of their life really hard but if you just create, well, you could buy this product mm-hmm. or buy this one that looks exactly the same, feels exactly the same, sounds the same, tastes the same. It's actually healthier and it's it's better for the environment and I can feel good because I'm not killing anything. Mm-hmm. Cool. I make that choice. That's easy. If it costs mm-hmm. the same, perfect. Right. Obvious choice. But if this is 10% more, then it's still it's still a hard, hard case to make. Right. Uh, we need to reach that price point. We need to reach the kind of experience point of, of, of course. Um, distinguishable. Uh, and what you guys are fighting for is awesome because it helps three things, I see at least. It helps the environment, it helps the animals, and it helps us too because it's been already proven. I'm not sure if, if you guys focus on this as well, that animal products can be harmful to humans. They uh, increase the probability of getting diabetes, cancer. I mean, chicken eggs themselves have so much cholesterol. It's as if you're smoking, right? So, I mean, reducing all these animal products is also helping us in our own health, don't you think? Absolutely, a hundred percent. And then there's there's some of these arguments around what is what is natural, um, which I'm all I'm always frustrated with because I, I I then asked, do we do we like do we really understand what a chicken is today? Yeah. So a chicken. Is the furthest, furthest thing from natural. It might have been natural a hundred years ago, but it has been genetically modified through through selective breeding right. to and the hormones and everything else that we're pumping into this animal to to actually be 
four times larger today than a chicken was 70 years ago. Wow. So we're talking about when, you know, our grandparents or my parents, close yeah. to my parents, uh, you know, were born. We've, we've modified this animal that we consume on a very regular basis to output four times as much. It's a really efficient thing in the food system yeah. uh, to, to get four times as much yield from taking care of one animal. That's, you know, of, of course, if only, if we're only thinking about making the most right. meat, great. But that is the furthest thing from from what we were, you know, if, we're, if we want to eat what is natural mm -hmm. from what, you know, we might consider that type of natural if that's what really matters. Um, and then, you know, there's there's arguments against, um, you know, the environmental footprint of certain crops. But uh, when we look at what animals consume incredibly inefficient consumption of plant matter to turn into animal animal protein so in some cases it's it's the the most efficient conversion is uh nine calories become one calorie this is just a really really big kind of non-starter there in terms of how we how we turn um uh crops that we're subsidizing for animal feed into animal protein um, as a starting point. So it, any way you look at it, this is kind of why one, one of the reasons I leaned in this direction was in the back of my head for 13 years is a perpetual uh, debate around how I, can, how I can try and actually improve upon undesirable circumstances in the world, how to do something uh, useful. And it's almost never the case that there's not a very obvious trade-off. There's kind of this, well, you know, helping cause X improves the lives of, of the, you know, group one, but it actually negatively affects uh, cause Z mm -hmm. and affects uh, the lives of group two in a negative way. What we're talking about here pretty much has, has no downside as long as in this transition, we're creating better jobs, cleaner jobs, safer job than those in, in factory farms mm -hmm. um, for people who, who were previously working there. Um, yeah, I mean, these jobs are very, very, very challenging jobs. They're not healthy. They're very unsafe. There's actually a higher um, injury rate in uh, working in chicken um, processing uh, uh, factory farms than in coal mines. Wow. More people get injured. <laughs> Uh, processing, you know, bringing Chicken. baby, and, uh, you know, through a processing plant, uh, than working in coal mines. Wow, that's unbelievable. Wow. It, yeah, we, you know, again, a yeah. thousand, a thousand reasons why this is just such yeah. a, a common sense, exciting way of creating some change if we do it right. Yeah, of course. And in your opinion, from what you've seen in your expertise, which country? that you visited has like the worst status of um, uh, animal farming and all this? China. China. China and the U.S. Uh, there's just so, so many animals in factory farms in both that in the U.S. it's almost, in a sense, it can be seen as close to the worst because of how efficient these factory farms are. Uh, and there's just almost no consideration at all of animal well-being in in legal terms in any of these um 
uh, factory farms. Now, well, that, that, that's a whole other discussion, but mm-hmm. uh, they're just so efficient that they're pumping through so many animals so systematically uh, as, as if it's, you know, um, you know they're manufacturing uh, products at maximum capacity. So in that sense, we're pumping so many animals through, um, you know, we're talking about in the U.S. at least 9 billion chickens per year uh, in the U.S. alone are, are consumed. So we're talking about just in one country, we're eating more animals than the equivalent of the entire human population yeah. every wow. year. That's pretty wild. China has uh, a, a lot of challenges to overcome. I mean, obviously, massive, massive population means whole lot of demand, very little regulation, very little data is even really known um, or, or can be used to judge how how um, uh, actually negative environment or uh, animal welfare is in, in these farms. And that's a, a big movement that's taking place. A lot of attention setting that direction among uh, in the animal welfare uh, advocacy world. Right, of course. Wow. And let's see here. Assuming worst case scenario, all this work that we're doing here doesn't work out, right? We, we can't convert these people to eating all these better products for the environment and factory farming and ourselves. What can we expect to happen? Ooh, <laughs> there's a big topic. Yeah. Uh, I am a, uh, s- certainly not, uh, convinced that we won't one day destroy ourselves mm-hmm. uh if, if we don't you know wipe ourselves out yeah. or, or create a world that is fundamentally different from anything that humanity's ever known mm-hmm. if we don't you know pay pay attention it, it's inevitable yeah. you know may, it may not be in the time frames that we're suggesting even if you're extremely skeptical of of the consequences of climate change fast forward a few generations yeah you know look at look at what happens in from you know this 1700s to now mm-hmm. the world is fundamentally different we've grown massively everything has changed uh that's a tiny amount of time on the horizon of how, how long you know humans have been around for between 70 and 200,000 years depending on how you look at it right that's a tiny amount of time if we're fast forwarding it is inevitable if we don't do something about this that that everything we know is going to fundamentally change we're going to be living in a world that is just 100 percent mutually exclusive from the one that we we've been in for 70,000 years mm-hmm. with that in mind, if we don't, you know, do something, there's no telling what's going to happen. Right. We, if we don't leave ourselves out entirely, then we live in perpetual, uh, turmoil of some type, uh, yeah, natural course. disasters and hurricanes and, and, uh, famine and drought and, mm-hmm. um, pandemics. Yeah. Uh, Wow. And assuming we don't listen and we don't learn, is there going to be this like point of no return where we're just going to get to a point where, like you said, it's going to be inevitable at that point. Like we can't do anything, even though we wanted to change, maybe finally listen. There's no point anymore. That's the no point of no return, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a big, a big question. I don't know if I know what that point is necessarily. Uh, I know if, if we break it down by what's the point of, of no return for kind of climate change to, to, to take off and, and um, be on repair, that's one discussion for 
for the point at which we kind of uh, have fundamentally changed forever what it means to be human by how we interact with our environment and, um, you know, what world we're living in. Maybe that's a different topic. Yeah. Mm. I, terrifying and and yeah. and and it sounds like alarmist or uh, like like you know being alarmist but mm-hmm. um it i'm i'm quite convinced it's certainly not and uh maybe we don't have to solve everything immediately mm-hmm. but um i think there's there's other topics as well on in, in the topic of existential risk that prevent or present challenges so if we look at artificial intelligence human compatibility mm-hmm. if we look at biosecurity risks and and pandemics and and uh engineered pathogens and um, all, all the risks that we face as we advance technology um, in this direction without, or, or we, we do so in relatively reckless ways, the kind of uh, known unknowns around what, what could come is, is really terrifying. And if I had to put you know, a, a bet on what is most likely to cause the most disruption to, to human life in the next few decades, in the next century, it's um, what happened in this artificial intelligence transition where wow. uh, there we're about to go through the biggest transition, you know, humanity's ever yeah. seen for certain. We, you know, if we thought the industrial revolution changed the reality of life, the artificial intelligence right. revolution, we want to call it, oh, it's got a lot in store. And yeah. it's when you, the more you dig there, the more terrifying it gets. The, uh, now there's an institute at, at Oxford called the Future of Humanity Institute that's uh, digging very deeply into um, the existential risk challenges of uh, the future of artificial intelligence if we don't figure out how to um, build into everything that we're creating human uh, compatibility in the broadest sense. Right. Certainly so- not. A terrifying one right do you think uh, artificial intelligence is more of a threat than it could be good then yes definitely right. <laughs> yeah that, absolutely 100 percent. well i i do think it has the potential to be to, to be absolutely incredible mm-hmm. i think the likelihood of that is much smaller than the likelihood of it it being um catastrophic mm-hmm. and uh, at minimum causing massive disruptions to, to our lives and, and at, at worst becoming the sci-fi from the 80s that yeah. we you know found to be insane but are actually not that far from possible right. and if we fast forward far enough into the future without very deliberately um, taking on the challenge of trying to solve this problem right of course wow Logan it was a pleasure having you on the podcast today I mean I learned so much from you um we hadn't had a guest like you in the in a long time. I don't think the whole time that we've had the podcast, we hadn't had a guest talk about um, factory farming, artificial intelligence. So it was a pleasure having on you, uh, having you on the podcast today. Absolutely, pleasure to be here. Really, really appreciated getting to chat. And, of course, uh, to to stay in touch. I uh, yeah, I hope I didn't. I hope I wasn't too negative here. No, uh, no, that's what we love. Here, but, uh, we're we're doing good things too. There's a thousand yeah. things to celebrate. Oh, definitely for sure. Yeah, important to be aware of, of, of the challenges. As yeah. Well. Is there anywhere that my audience can find you or your company and your work? Any links or social media? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn really easily for sure. Logan Sullivan. Uh, counterfactual.co is where you can go to check out the uh, the Venture Studio. I'd encourage anybody 
at all interested in potentially founding a company in the future to come come and apply. Uh, it's really really simple. So what we'd like is you you know to be able to apply it as quickly and easily as possible. So all you need to do is put in um, a, a link to your LinkedIn account or a resume in your email, and that gets you in our system so that we can stay in touch even if you're not you know in position to leave your your life behind to make the transition to start a company right now. Um, you'll you'll be kind of in our, our list of, of folks to stay in touch with over time. Um, and again, it's super easy. So I don't see any reason not to, um, uh, to, to throw a, an application in there. If you, you feel there's any potential you want to start a company and solve some problems, uh, that way. And also, um, you know, hopefully, uh, make, make a return in the process. Um, we believe if you can make a lot of money in the process of solving a lot of problems, um, that that's kind of the, the case in which we can persuade a lot more resources to come um, invest further in, in this type of process. So we're, we're committed to um, building profitable companies that, that have that, that maximize impact at the same time. And we really believe that's possible. So uh, yeah, reach out anytime. Hope you, uh, um, yeah, hope, hope it provided some value and not just some dread and, and uh, sources of depression. Let's no, see. of course not. Thank you so much, Logan. And lastly but not least, um, is there any upcoming event or product that my audience can look forward from you guys, maybe? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we're very often involved in events uh, on a very regular basis, um, but those will be list listed on counterfactual.co. Mm -hmm. Nothing in particular stands out right now for kind of the, the uh, anyone out there to join lots related universities and uh, and uh, certain institutes but they'll check out check out the website for any details there and we'll, we'll keep that updated over time follow us on LinkedIn if you find counterfactual ventures on LinkedIn that's also a spot we'll throw all of our, uh, our events as well awesome thank you so much Logan it was a pleasure having you on absolute pleasure thanks so much my pleasure guys there you have it that was our interview episode with logan sullivan i mean what he had to tell us was amazing right factory farming artificial intelligence that point of no return right what 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 do we do when we get to that point what what if we don't listen on time to what people like logan are telling us i've been a, a meat eater my whole life right i've i've to this day i still eat um, animal products um, my family owns a restaurant right it's a mexican restaurant it lives off of animal products but what if there was a way in the future to to not use you know as much to li little as possible you know maybe even none um, animal 
products like chicken eggs, cow, beef, right, pork. What if there was a way to reduce that? And at the same time, restaurants like mine wouldn't have to go out of business. People could still keep having that juicy burger that Logan was talking about without ever having a doubt in their mind that it's not going to taste as good to what they used to eat. You following me? So I really loved what um, what Logan had to say. It, it was it was on point, and it really it's a really big issue that we're uh, struggling as and not just as a nation, as a whole world, as a people together, all of us, every country: China, America, Europe, uh, Africa, Australia, Southern America. Right? We're we're all struggling with this. Right? It's 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 our planet. We all share it, and if we all damn it to hell, right, in the future, it's going to affect all of us, not just Americans, not just uh, the Chinese, not just the Australians, right, it's going to affect us all, and um, so we have to, we have to, we have to work together on this, at least on this, right, screw politics, I mean, if we want to go back to, you know, right, stabbing at our own throats in politics, and whether we agree with abortions, or whether we agree with religion and freedom of speech or not, right, that's something else, but we can all we should all, I think, especially as Logan was saying, come together to to solve these issues that are killing our environment. And not just killing our environment, they're going to be killing us eventually if they're not yet already. All right? So keep that in mind, guys. It was a pleasure to have Logan uh, on the podcast. Right? Another great story for the Athenium to hold. Another great book on our shelves. And um, I hope you guys can... Get something out of it, take some wisdom out of it, take some knowledge out of it, uh, and be able to apply it to your own lives. Because, yeah, like I said, this is a, it's a big topic, and we have to be careful. We have to be careful. I mean, this is our plan we're talking about. And uh, if we screw it up, we don't get a second one, unless we learn how to colonize on Mars or something, right? But, yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't think we'll be able to colonize on Mars ever. Right, or on any planet for that matter. Right. I don't think that's just how it's supposed to go. I think it's either we screw up or we pull our heads out of our asses and, you know, right focus on what we really need to fix. So yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So as I said, it was a pleasure having Logan and as always I was super grateful and Super excited that you guys were here to tune in as always and uh, keep leaving reviews, guys. If you haven't left a review, please leave a review. Um, if it's one star, it's one star. If it's five star, leave a five star. Right? Be honest, but we love having reviews. We love having our variety. Uh, we understand not every review is going to be a five star, um, but please leave a review. Uh, tell us why and uh, why you give it that rating and how we can work on it. And we'll definitely work on it. We definitely read our, all our reviews. Um, and we all, we, we're always keeping track of that. So please leave a review, especially if you like the episode at the end. Tell us what you like. Tell us what we could do better. Tell us what you want to hear and the kind, of, the kind of people you want to hear from. Like I said at the beginning, we haven't heard from specifically actors. We've heard from directors already, but I don't think we've had an actual actor. Although Marilee was, I think she was like a voice uh, actor, like voiceover actor, but I, I don't quite remember. But um, artists, I don't think we've heard from specifically like painters or illustrators. And um, those are some big ones that we should definitely dig into. Doctors, we haven't talked to doctors. I mean, Logan was as close as to a doctor, in quotations, as you're going to get. But um, but 
yeah, like I said, what Logan, what Logan had for us today was uh, immaculate, right? It was just awesome. And um, with that said, guys, definitely leave a review. Check out my book on my website, www.hofthekings.net or on Amazon, uh, Walmart, Barnes & Nobles. And I believe it might still be on Target, but they might have taken it off of Target. I'm not sure. But definitely, if not on there, check all the other places, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, and my website um, for sure. And... Um, yeah, with that said, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. This was a pleasure, as always. Uh, you know, you guys know I always enjoy being on here with you. Um, definitely. I got to start working on either reading you guys the end of Old Beth um, in the coming episodes because I know we haven't returned to that ever since the, since the uh, what's it called, the mid-season finale. But um, if not, I might just take story time out of it. Doesn't It didn't seem to be that successful, guys. It just seemed to just be, you know... An aspiration that didn't work out. Um, I thought it would. No, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm not, my feelings aren't hurt. Um, but uh, if you guys do want me to finish that story, I can always finish that story for you guys. Um, just let me know. And um, other than that, I don't think I have anything for you guys tonight. So all I can say is thank you guys for tuning in, as always. And uh, look forward to the next episode. The next episode will be good, I believe. I believe. I believe, I think, I think, I'm not quite sure yet. Um, I, I don't think I actually have a guest next episode. But for sure, you are gonna, you guys are going to have a next uh, a new episode in, in the coming week. Not this Sunday because this episode is going to count as this Sunday's episode. Um, oh, I guess not because it would have counted for this last Sunday that, um, that, I, uh, that I didn't have an interview because I was actually being interviewed for another podcast. So feel free to check it out, guys, that too. Um... That yeah, I don't. The episode has not come out yet, but it should be coming out within tonight and tomorrow, according to to uh, to to my friend who interviewed. Well, not a friend, but to the other podcaster who interviewed me. According to him, it sh- the episode should be coming out, so you can check it out. They interviewed me. The podcast is Erratic Dispatches um, with with Eric, and uh, he had some great questions. He um, he specializes in interviewing writers and authors specifically. He interviewed our friend Brendan, um, which we interviewed in our fourth episode, I believe, uh, for Master Talk. So uh, feel free to check out that episode when it comes out, guys. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to tell you guys next episode on the Athenium whether it has come out yet or not. But um, for sure, stay tuned, guys. And yep, that's it. So with that said, guys, as always... Thank you for joining in, and this is The Athenium, signing off. Lights out.